The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another Chris Sheeran Show. That's hashtag CSS on the Twitter. You'll see that along with YesNetwork.com. Doug Williams, yes, and myself, Chris Sheeran, yes. Uh, We are happy to be back with you once again. God has blessed us with another week to uh, use our vocal cords and talk a little sports, specifically the New York area. And uh, before we get to the Yankees, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, let's just neatly kind of put a bow tie on the NBA and NHL seasons, which have ended. We'll start with the NBA, Doug. Um, And I guess I'll start with the Heat and LeBron taking a lot of stuff, a lot of nonsense for his team going down 4-1 to the Spurs. But if if you watch that series, if you watch any of that series, the Spurs were like a well-oiled machine. I mean, you can't there wasn't just one star on that team, although Kawhi Leonard had a hell of a series. But um, it was just pass, pass, pass. It was something out of Hoosiers. It was just the way they played as a team. They dominated the Heat, who basically went through the Eastern Conference like a hot knife through butter. They didn't have any trouble in the first round. They didn't have any trouble against the Nets in the second. A little bit. It could have went either way, but they still were able to come back. The Nets just couldn't close in that series. If they did, that would have been an interesting one. Uh, and then they dispatched the Pacers in relatively easy fashion uh, before getting to the finals and taking on the Spurs. And, you know, Greg Popovich is just one of the best coaches. He, he, to take that team, which is older than the Heat, by the way. A lot of people coming out with these excuses about the Miami Heat being, you know, all of a sudden they got old. Well, hold on now. <laughs> What about the way they went through the Eastern Conference? Nobody was saying anything about their age when they were going right through the Eastern Conference. But when they lose the finals to the Spurs, then they're old. Uh, That I have a little bit of a problem with. I'm not going to get on that LeBron hate bandwagon. The guy's the best player on the planet. He is. But he can't beat the Spurs all by himself. He just can't. Dwayne Wade was garbage in the finals. He was absolute garbage. He looked like the Dwayne Wade of old against the Nets. You know, and Spolster looked like a genius for resting him during the regular season and picking his spots with Wade. But I tell you, you want to point the finger, point it at Dwayne Wade. Everybody, you know, I saw some, what do they call them, memes on the internet, Doug? Yeah, okay. So actually uh, Deshaun Jackson was trolling LeBron. I just saw this. Uh, It's one of those pictures and, you know, it's got – can we use him in the fourth quarter? And it's LeBron pointing to Kobe with a Heat number 24 jersey. Come on, Deshaun. <laughs> Stop with the trolling of LeBron. I mean, the guy, he sets himself up for it. I give him that. Uh, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on, on, on you know recent podcasts. But he doesn't deserve to take all the blame for this loss against the Spurs, I, in my opinion. I don't know what you think, but I just think, in my opinion, he doesn't deserve to feel the weight of people stepping on his neck when it's a team game, especially in the finals, and the Spurs definitely showed you that. Yeah, now it all depends on how much LeBron trusts Pat Riley because it's kind of a weird situation. We weren't sure if at, at the end of the year LeBron would be bored or anything like that, like he might want new scenery. But now he might be significantly worried about the fact that even if all three of the big three, they're not the big three anymore, but even if all three, Bosch, LeBron, and D-Wade come back, LeBron's probably going to worry you know, do we even have a shot with that group? Because they, they need help. D Wade doesn't have knees anymore. Yeah. You know, Bosch just isn't a superstar. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Does LeBron think that this is, 
you know, where future championships are held. I don't know. Yeah, and you also <laughs> that's where the mellow uh, rumors start exactly. flying around about him going to Miami, and who knows what Carmelo Anthony is going to do. I, I I could just sit back, kick my feet up. And thank the good Lord that Pat Riley can't sell any three-peat merchandise. (laughs) That was one of my wishes uh, going into the finals, and uh, I got my wish. I didn't get my wish in hockey, though. And, you know, I keep telling everybody that will listen to me, and people are probably getting sick and tired of me talking about the Rangers losing to the Kings. But this one's going to hurt for a while. Uh, We're both admitted, you know, blue shirt fans here. You know that if you listen to this podcast. And I just can't stomach – I can't. I can't stomach people saying that the Kings were the better team. They might have been the better team going into that series. But the Rangers skated with them, had two-goal leads over them, had a 4-2 lead in game two going into the third period. Now, Kings come back, the Kings win. You want to call them the better team for that? Eh, okay. I have a problem with – saying that the Rangers didn't belong on the same ice as this team. Because we've talked about it before. A different angle of a puck here, a different angle of a stick there. The Rangers are up 3-1. You know, they could have took both games in L.A., or they could have split, took both games at home. Quick was just unbelievable in Game 3 when he shut the Rangers out at the Garden. But, you know, the Rangers battle back. They win Game 4. And Game 5, you go back to that, and I know the Kings hit a post in overtime, too. But I I keep replaying this in my head over and over. I I can't stop. I can't stop. McDonough rings one off the far post. Quick didn't even see it. It, He heard it (laughs) before he saw it. He heard it ring off the post. And then Rick Nash, who was a ghost, a ghost in the finals. And for most of the playoffs, let's be honest. He gets the wide open net. And Voinoff gets his stick down just at the right time and deflects that shot away. I mean, the Rangers were that close to a game six at the Garden. And look, the Kings are monsters. I I have a good friend, Chris Riley, and he's a former player, played up in Boston in college. And he knows a lot of these guys in the league. He was lucky enough to be in L.A. doing one of their early games for the NHL Network, and he brought his daughter with with him. And they're kicking around the soccer ball in the arena before the game. And Emma turns – his daughter Emma turns to him and says, Daddy, these guys are monsters. She looked at uh, Kopitar. He's 6'5", and he's 260 pounds. I mean, these guys these guys are beasts. You know, how, how good was Marty San Luis until the cup final? The Kings just, and I know the Rangers were in these games, but the Kings just, they, they wore them down. They, they hit the Rangers till they couldn't hit them anymore. The Rangers were just too small. That, that's what it boils down to. I mean, they were in these games and they were skating with them, but the constant hitting and destruction of, of the Rangers' uh, star players, you know, and Nash, you know, you could talk on this too, Doug, and I'm going to shut up in a second so you can. Because you were at some of these games. But Nash, my God, for a guy of his caliber, for a superstar, quote unquote, sometimes he got the puck and it would just come off his stick without even pressure. 
the puck went off his stick and you're just sitting there like, my God, get him off the ice. He's not doing anything. And when he does get the puck, he loses it. I felt I felt more that way about Brad Richards than I did oh. Rick Nash. He was another one. Richards Brad Richards, Nash, I wanted final. I wanted him on the bench for, you know, the 20 minutes of every period. He just I, I felt Except like he was skating in mud. Except game yeah, 5. Game five he, he played, played well. a good game. But the thing about Rick Nash is that for some reason uh, Vigneault took him off the power play for an elongated period mm-hmm. of time. I thought that was a good move to maybe motivate him. Right. But you have to realize at some point, even though the numbers aren't there, that he is your most skilled offensive player. Put him back on the power play. Maybe he gets a goal and, and, and get, gains some momentum. You know, I'm not as angry at Rick Nash as a lot of other Rangers fans are because I do think that he did a lot of good things on the ice. Now, he, he granted, he makes all his money to score goals. He played good defense. He yeah, did. he did play pretty well. Uh, you know, I just – it is such a bummer because, like you said, the Kings are so much bigger than the Rangers. It's like but, a black hole. It really was. I will say, Chris, I think they physically matched him for the first, you know – at least the first two games in LA, they had some really Rangers had some really big hits. Now they're not as big. They were doing a lot with what they have, which is less size and less physicality than the Kings have. But I didn't really think that was the problem. I think the Rangers biggest problem in this series was quite simply the fact that they didn't score a goal in the third period or in any overtime. Yeah. And, and you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't win. You can't win in the NHL if you don't score past the second period. Yeah. It just doesn't work. So, yeah. and you know, people who want to get on Henrik Lundqvist uh, and, and and you know, Devil fans especially and Islander fans who want to get on Henrik Lundqvist, you're lost. You have no idea, no idea what this guy is did in these playoffs. None. You are lost. This guy <laughs> might be, and I know Quick stood on his head too. I, I truly think Lundqvist is the best goalie on the planet. I do. I do. Does he let some cheapies in here and there? Yeah. And, I, and I've said it, you know, ad nauseum on this podcast. And it drives me insane. But if that guy isn't between the pipes for the Rangers in this playoff run, especially the finals, these games are lopsided losses and they get swept. There is no way the Rangers even compete without that guy in goal. It's interesting, Chris, because uh, a lot of people are saying the Rangers' priority should be to make his life easier. Um, but which defenseman is the problem? Because if you if you read a lot of these columns and you know in the New York Post about the defensive defenseman situation, people are saying that they have to resign Strawman. People think Stahl is a superstar. Girardi had a tough playoffs, but he's in general he just got a big contract. McDonough is supposed to be your star of the team. So whose fault is it? that Henrik Lundqvist was basically the best player on the ice fielding 40 shots per game in these playoffs. Why is it that he is relied upon so much? Why is it that the Rangers gave up 45 shots per game? I don't know who's to blame, but the Rangers do need to make life easier on him to win a cup. They got to a cup with him, you know, holding the team on his shoulders, but I don't know if he can if they can do it again yeah, and beat times, a Western Conference team with that many shots. How many times did Marty Brodeur at the end of a game have between 15 and 20 saves? Hell, even sometimes 12 and 20 saves. That's all he had to do to win games. That's what the that's the blueprint the Rangers need for Henrik Lundqvist. I mean, they're wasting this guy 
between the pipes with – look, I don't want to call their defense weak. I don't because I think Girardi had a tough finals though. Uh, he had a, a really tough finals. And I think McDonough is, a, is, a, is an all-star, like a, a perennial all-star. That guy could play for me anytime. Strawman has his ups and downs. He had a great playoffs, though. He had a great playoffs, but he had his ups. You know, sometimes he makes you want to rip your TV out of the wall. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for the most part as a whole, he's got to scratch your head because stall, too. Like you just said, who do you point the finger at? I don't know because a lot of these guys have big names and you're not sure. You know, I do think they're one big thing that they need if they don't resign Strawman is a big defenseman with a big-time shot from the blue line, a guy who can – uh, get a deflection. They don't really have, besides McDonough, a yeah. guy who you, you want to get the puck at the point. Think about Dowdy. Right. Think about... Uh, think about a guy like Al McInnes, like Al something McInnes, like that. Yeah. A guy with a shot and a guy who maybe can play the point on the power play or when on, you know... And P.K. Subban. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that kind of guy. You know, every time he got the puck on a power play for the Canadians, you're just like... <sighs> Right, you're making that noise. The Rangers don't have that guy. McDonough's a little bit like that, but a he, did, he is a little too fancy. Yeah, at times. yeah. I mean, he's more of a finesse guy. But I'm telling you right now, I, 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 I've been talking to friends, and they'll say, "Oh, you, you'll forget it in two months." No, I won't. <laughs> I'll be thinking about this at it's the All Star break next year. I mean, you know, when you're 20 years old, and the next time the Rangers make a final is when you're 40 years old. You're going to think about this. <laughs> You're going to think about it for a while. And, you know, the fact that they lose and the way that they lost, it, it's just tough to take. And another thing that's tough to take, I am the king of segues, Dougie. Another thing that's tough to take right now is the New York Yankees offense. This is the, this is the reason why the team, especially with three-fifths of the rotation out right now, this is the reason why they are a mediocre team. They're three games over 500. They're, they were 15 and 11 in April. They were 14 and 14 in May, and they're off to a seven and eight start in June. They are mediocre. They're not good. They're middle of the road. 253 as a team, batting average. That is the middle of the pack in the major leagues. The Yankees are 21st in runs scored with 278 in the majors. You know who's right behind them? The Boston Red Sox with 276. These are two perennial teams that are 1-2 in that category. And they are 21st and 22nd. The Yankees are better in runs scored than the Red Sox, the Mets, the Phillies, the Cards, the Rays, the Cubs, the Braves, the Reds, and the Padres, who have 210 runs, and that's a major league worst. That's not good. That's not saying a lot. That's not boasting a lot when you're only better than those teams. The A's are the leaders of the pack. Moneyball has scored 369 runs. That leads the majors. Colorado is right behind them with 360. And the team leading the AL East, surprise, surprise, the Toronto Blue Jays, they come in third with 335. Yankees are a mediocre team. But they could show me something. They started this 15-game stretch, their recent homestand, kicking off a win against the Blue Jays. 15-game stretch versus AL East opponents. Six with the Blue Jays. This is the type of stretch, the type of run, and it's only June. And you could say that it's only June. 
At this time of July, you can't say it's only July. This is the time, stretches like this, when teams get tested and you're either contender or pretender. And the only reason, the only reason the Yankees are as close as they are in the East and as close as they are in the wild card because of one Masahiro Tanaka. Tanaka time is the right time for the New York Yankees. I mean, after him, who are you throwing out there? Hiroki Kuroda, who's been up and down this year. I mean, he's still, he's still giving the Yankees good starts, but he's not what he used to be. He just got pummeled by the A's. And you're allowed to have one of these every once in a while, but he's been steadily up and down all season. Now, the stopper's role on this team, you know, it used to be Andy Pettit. Whenever the Yankees lost and Andy Pettit was on the hill the next day, nine times out of ten, you were getting a win. He passed the baton to CC Sabathia. When CC Sabathia started struggling last year, early in the season, it wasn't Tanaka time, it was Kuroda time. But now that baton is firmly in the right hand of Masahiro Tanaka. He is the Yankees' ace. He is the Yankees' stopper. When CC Sabathia comes back, he's not the ace. He has to earn that back. Masahiro Tanaka is just, you know, you hear all the way down the line. The one word that describes Tanaka is what? Starts with an F, ends with a Y. Filthy. That's the one word. After the Yankees lose in this year, he's 5-1 and one when he takes the hill with an ERA just north of 2. 2.02. He's got 113 Ks to his first 14 starts. That's third all time. Since his lone loss back on May 20th at Chicago, the White Sox, he's 5-0 and oh with a 1-2-6 ERA with 40 Ks and 8 walks. All 14 of his starts are quality. This guy is the Ivan Drago of Major League Pitching. Think about it. In almost two calendar years, when we hit August 19th, if he still only has one loss, if the Yankees are that lucky, if he's that lucky, I'm not saying he's gonna, but if he gets to August 19th with just one loss on his ledger, it'll be two calendar years, he will have two regular season losses. In two calendar years. August 19th, 2012, he lost in Japan. May 20th, 2014, he lost here with the Yankees in Chicago against the White Sox. The reason the Yankees are, are, are where they are right now, you don't have to go too far. You know, we talked about MT on the Nets. You had Mirza Toledovich, you had Marcus Thornton. Not going to say Marcus Teague. He, he was a non-factor. But we have another MT besides Mark Teixeira on the Yankees, and that's Masahiro Tanaka. But in order for the Yankees to be successful, Doug, this offense has to wake up. They are just not getting the job done, and they are capable. If they play to the backs of their baseball cards, which is what Mark Teixeira says all the time when you interview him, this offense should have no problem propelling this team to a win streak. 
Because without these starters, Sabathia, Pineda, Nova, the pitching has been just fine. You get a couple of blow-ups every once in a while, but you expect that. You know, Vidal Nuno, he, he can't be in the rotation. He can't. He's just not giving the team chances to win. Chase Whitley, he has. And tonight, as we tape this, he's going to face the Blue Jays. This is a big test for him, facing this Blue Jays lineup. You know, he's 2-0 in his time as a starter. He's, you know, he's, he's a reliever all of his career in the minors. He comes up here, they need a starter. He's starting, he's pitching out of the stretch. But you know what? He's consistent. He's around the zone. He doesn't walk a lot of batters. He challenges these guys. Now, this is a tough lineup to challenge. You're challenging guys like Bautista and Encarnacion. You know, bad things could happen. But we'll see what Whitley's made of tonight when he takes on this Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, and one thing I want to go back and address, Chris, in your point that, you know, it's only June. Um, at the end of last year, we, we did a JCTV, which is Jack Curry's web show, and we did one with Joe Girardi. And he said, it turned out at the end of the year we were seven wins away. And he said, if we could, and I, he said, what keeps me up at night is seven win, one win per month for seven months, yeah. and we would have been in the playoffs. Yeah. So when people say it's only May, it's only June, it's only July, I hope you realize that those games count just as much as the games in September. Every game. It's, on, it's all one regular season, guys. And so when people react on Twitter and, and you say, well, the Yankees are playing a bunch of teams in their division this month, these are must-win games, people are like, that's ridiculous. It's only no, June. It's not. it's not ridiculous. Because guess what? If, if, we, if the Yankees miss the playoffs – by three games, you're going to be thinking back to games in May, June, July that you could have won, that you that you missed out on. And I like the way you put it with their lineup. They need to wake up. It just seems lethargic to me. It seems like the team is a little banged up and a little lethargic, and they need to wake up, realize that these games are important, and, and kind of come out of their shell. Brian McCann, show some energy. Um uh, we filmed a Yes Man yesterday, went through the f- – there's only five guys on in this offense that have not been disappointments. Um, Ellsbury, Solarte. Gardner, Solarte, Ichiro, guys like that. And they were going to get rid of well. Ichiro. They were thinking about getting rid yep. of the guy. Where would they be without him? I don't know. Alfonso Soriano, you've been hitting righties your whole career. Time to step up. Brian Roberts, step up. Kelly Johnson's been playing a lot better of late. That's important. So – they need to get their act together because it's not the NBA. You can't just show up and win because of your skill. Right. You need to win every baseball game by putting all your effort out there. They need to start. Yeah, and it, 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 it goes back to what I said. And this offense, it's just not getting the job done. And the thing that drives you crazy, and we always talk about this, is last year it was the lack of offense. It was the 4A team that was up here. And – they had the horses on the mound who would keep the games close, but they just had nothing. They couldn't scratch together two runs to save their lives. And when they did, they would win 2-1. I mean, those are the games that shouldn't be happening now. This offense is capable of averaging four to six runs per game. And recently, I mean, you look at these scores, three, two, one. Okay, fine, you have a seven or a six here and there. But it's not enough. It's not enough. 
you've got these guys on the mound, especially these starters, busting their rear ends, and they look at the they, they you look at that lineup card. L- let's be honest. You see Gardner, you see Ellsbury, you see Jeter, you see Beltron, you see uh, McCann behind him, you see Teixeira. I'm forgetting him. You see Solarte in the year he's had. I mean, if you're a starting pitcher and you see that on the lineup card, you're thinking, okay, I don't have to be perfect tonight. I can I can have a mistake or two and I'll still be fine. But that's not been the case. That has to start being the case. This offense has to start playing to the back of their baseball cards. I'm telling you right now, in June, this is going to be a short season. It is. It's not going to get better. And they need CC Sabathia back. They need Michael Pineda back. And when's that going to happen? What are they talking about, Sabathia? After the All Star break? Yeah, around the All Star break. And Pineda in August. Pineda, yeah. I don't like. You know, I tweeted last night. I said all all the Yankees have to do is make sure that these three guys pitch every night, and they'll be fine. To Tanaka, Batansis, and Robertson. I mean, those guys were all lights out last night. But that can only happen one out of every five days. Yeah. So there are going to be games where you're running Nuno. Uh, guys like Thornton and Warren, and then hopefully getting a save from Robertson, you're going to need an offense to win games like that. Yeah. And, so, and, and that's, you know, it can't happen every night, as Doug just said. Once every five nights, Tanaka takes them out. And he shouldn't have all that pressure on him that I have to go out here and win, or we're going to go into an even deeper hole than we were before. I mean, the amount of pressure every time that guy takes the mound must be, you know, Ruthian. Like the, he's got the whole world on his shoulders every time he takes the mound, but he doesn't pitch like it. And and in true Tanaka fashion, I wasn't home yet, and I get the alert on my phone: uh, Blue Jays take one nothing lead in top of the first on Yankees. And I knew Tanaka was pitching. I was just like, eh, that's all they're getting. I just said it. I, I just said it jokingly. I said, ah, that's all they're going to get anyway. It, it, it's him. That's what happens. You know, they know he likes to work ahead. They know he likes to throw that first pitch fastball. It was a two-seamer that cut right over the plate, and Reyes destroyed it. That's all they got. All they got. I think if you asked him, he'd say, all right, first batter of the game, you're the least important. I'm going to throw yeah, I'm going to get ahead right. of the count. I'm exactly. not going to nibble. And it was one run. Wasn't a lot of damage. He gave up a solo home run. Big deal. And then he was lights out the rest of the way. They didn't get a guy past second base the rest of the game. The rest of his – I'm sorry. Let me restate that. The rest of the time, Tanaka was on the hill for six innings. Robertson gave up the triple um, when uh, – Gardner went to dive in and end the game, and he missed it and went all the way to the wall. But he had Anthony goes, you know, as we used to say in my dugout, can I help you? No, I'm just looking. Um, But the Yankees lineup, we'll end with this. Just want to get your thoughts on this. A little eye-opening for me. They are fourth in the major leagues in strikeouts. They've struck out 598 times. Yeah, who in that lineup? 598 times. I mean, these are guys who are supposed to have good on-base percentages. These are guys that are like career average hitters. 598 strikeouts? My goodness. You're not going to win too many games. And guess what? We're going to go back to the immediate point when I started this Yankee discussion with Doug. This team is mediocre. 
It's mediocre. It's staring at me right here on paper. 15 and 11 in April, 14 and 14 in May, 7 and 8 in June. The New York Yankees are mediocre. And the thing that pains me about it is they shouldn't be. They should be better. And let me throw this out there too. Joe Girardi, again, again, is doing a ridiculous job managing. Now he's got the lineup. They're not producing. How they're three games over 500 with the lack of offense is beyond me. It's beyond me. But they are. And they're in the hunt. And you know what? They probably will be. But this offense needs a wake-up call. Pronto. It needs a closed-door meeting. And I know they don't really mean a lot in baseball because a meeting's not going to help you hit a ball. It's one of the hardest things to do. But, Doug, something has to happen. And something has to happen soon. My last point, Chris, will just be this. It would be so nice and such an easy excuse for Joe Girardi and the Yankees team as, in general if they were losing games 11 to 9 because you could say, well, three-fifths of our rotation is on the disabled list. Right. But that's the opposite of what's happening. Right. It's the guys that are healthy and that are in the lineup that aren't producing. Uh, guys like Chase Whitley, guys like David Phelps, they're doing their jobs. Guys, guys like Carlos Beltran and Brian McCann, they're not. No, they're not. And, you know, Phelps, he, he is a – you basically have three, three fifth starters in the rotation in Nuno, Whitley, and Phelps. Three. So you have a one, a four, <laughs> and three fives. And they're three games over 500. As Kramer used to say, that's gooky talk. It is. It's amazing. Earth to the Yankees offense. Wake up. Let's go. Collective kick in the keister. Let's start hitting the baseball and stop striking out. All right. I'm off the soapbox. I'm climbing down from my ivory tower. Doug is helping me. And uh, we'll be back next I'm week. currently rubbing your back. <laughs> I, I'm just giving you a Awkward. gentle massage. <laughs> That's it for this this edition of the Chris Sheeran Show. Uh, if you want it, you can go to yesnetwork.com, as you know, or you could download it at iTunes for free. For Doug Williams, I'm Chris. We'll see you next time.